Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is Paul Patrick. I'm the campus minister at Erskine with RUF. I've heard of you. I've never seen you. Um, it is good to see you. It is good to be with you. I'm a good friend to John Boyd. He's a good friend to me. I know Greg Skipper from days back at Clemson where we were students together. And uh, it's just nice to be here this morning. So thank you for having me on this occasion, uh, both for a sermon and for the Lord's Supper. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Matthew, where in just a moment I'll read what are probably some familiar words to you already. Uh, but before I read, let me, let me tell you what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to share with you a sermon that I had with, with my students at Erskine this past spring. Um, we start a new semester of RUF tonight. I'm, I'm happy that we have, uh, as of right now, 160 students who say they're going to come tonight to our cookout and our Bible study. That is enough to make you an anxious wreck. And it applies to our sermon this morning because we're going to talk about the anxious heart. Uh, so the, the series I did with my students last spring, I took 10, I took 10 of the hardest questions, the hardest issues that students have raised for me over the past 17 years, and I just tried to apply the gospel to those. And so the first talk is the one I'll share with you this morning, and that is, if the gospel is true, then why do we Christians worry and fear and freak out so much? Why do we get so worked up about the things of life if the gospel is true? And so this morning is good news for the anxious heart. If you're an anxious person, if you're one who gets wound up tight, if you are one who can't rest without working in your mind all the things that could go wrong, all the things that should go wrong. Um, there is good news and there is peace in God's Word this morning. So one of those passages is Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Listen to what Jesus said to His disciples. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? 
For the pagan unbelievers run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And then a little bonus passage from John 16, 33. Listen to this. Jesus also to His disciples, I've told you these things so that in Me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we pray now, your word has been read, and we now try to apply it faithfully to the Christian life. Would you be our teacher? Would you open our eyes to see and to know and to believe the truth that you've offered us? And we pray this together in Jesus' name, amen. It is a difficult world in which we live, people. You know that. There are so many things that can go wrong. And these things that don't go according to our plan tend to undo us. They tend to unravel us. Uh, I noticed over the past couple of months as I've been uh, focusing on things like the anxious heart and the depressed heart, I've been noticing stories as they pop up in the news And you've heard these. You probably remember these as well. I'll use two as an example. Several months ago, I learned the name Lori Laughlin or Lachlan for the first time. She was the, um, can we say movie star, TV star, who, this is what you'll remember, she was indicted for the crime of illegally purchasing her children's admission to an elite university. And not only her, but 50 parents, 50 families were indicted for paying sometimes millions of dollars to get their child admitted to the prestigious school of their choice. Um, Sometimes it was just a cash payment. Sometimes they would fake a scholarship and a student would pretend to have been on a rowing team and be given a scholarship, a full scholarship, and yet that student had never rode a day in their life. And this story popped up in the news, and it caught my attention, just like a second story did, which was in India, where the national test scores of high school seniors were released. You may remember this. And 20 students in India committed suicide when they received their test scores because they did not meet the standard and the grade that they demanded to make it to the next level. About a week later, it was found out that there had been a computer error in the grading of those tests. And those students had not failed their test. They had been given the wrong scores. And so what would prompt a student to take their own life when they think they failed to meet a score? What would prompt these 50 plus families 
to find a way to get their child admitted to a school, a prestigious school that they desired for their child. What is it that drives those things, those kinds of things, if it's not ultimately fear and an anxious heart that things have got to go according to our plan or else we're ruined? I think that's what drives those two stories, the heart of those parents, the heart of those students. It's the tragedy of when you put your hope in the wrong thing. And when you think you have to be the author of your story and that your story must go the way that you want to write it, those things, that demanding control, will drive a person into anxiety and into depression and into despair. And those are just two of countless stories that it could be applied to. You know what it is to have an anxious heart. You know what it is to worry. You know what it is to be undone by the details of life that are beyond your control. And Jesus speaks a good word to us this morning from this passage in Matthew where He reminds us we have never been in control. We are not the author of our own stories. We are dependent upon the grace and the loving fatherhood of a God who Jesus says knows what you need and will supply your need. You need not worry about it. You need to instead, he says, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And yet... Everyday life for you is no different than everyday life for me. I made a list of the things my household has experienced in the past year, which probably many of these would be on your list. But these are the things that create worry and anxiety in a typical household. Well, there's all those doctor's appointments. There's diagnosis. There's disease. There's therapy, constant therapy, and having to go to therapy. There are school tests, there are school papers, there are school exams, there's college admission. A prom dress. Who knew that the purchasing of a prom dress could be so stressful? And yet Jesus says, do not worry about what you wear. You try telling that to my 18-year-old. It doesn't undo anxiety and worrying. Kids driving late at night. Kids driving late at night in unfamiliar places. Parents and grandparents getting older. Still living by themselves, but needing help to take care of themselves. And then there's finances, college tuition, cars, maintenance, repairs, home maintenance, home repairs, jobs, work, profession, professional performance, sports, performance, musical performance. This is on my list, my family's list, and your list is probably very similar. You'll have additional things, you'll not have some of these things. But there's a lot that undoes the typical family in our day. And Jesus speaks to your everyday worry, your everyday concern, and says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first His righteousness. And God's going to provide the things that you truly need. He may not meet your felt needs, but He will meet your real needs.
If that doesn't hit your bullseye, maybe this will. Um, so I've been doing RUF at Erskine for 17, this is my 17th fall, which means I've been doing it long enough to have enough graduates out there that they are now old enough to be in the phase of life that I was in when I started this with young children, small children. And one of my graduates posted this article probably six months ago, and it caught my attention because she is a young mom, and all the other young moms of her class all start commenting on it and start hitting like on it. And so I look at it and I read it and I think, you know what? I think that captures the essence of the anxious heart. So listen to this, and you're going to have one of two responses to this. It's a little bit lengthy, but there's gold here. So listen to this as we apply it to our lives. This is by Lauren Eberspacher, and it's titled, My Anxiety Makes Me Feel Like I Fail Over and Over Again. Listen to this mother and what she has to say. She says, I'm so tired of trying so hard. Hey, honey, why don't you come and just sit down and relax a little? My husband asked as I was rummaging around in the kitchen cabinets. I huffed under my breath at him. I can't. I just can't, I replied. There's just too much to do. So much that you can't come and sit down with me for five minutes? He pushed a little bit harder. I smacked the washcloth down on the counter and I whipped around at him. No, actually I can't. Because I have to get all the leftovers put away and get these pots and pans soaking. Then I have to go and put the kids' sheets in the dryer so I can make sure they are dry before bedtime. Also, we're out of milk, so I need to run into town before the grocery store closes. Oh, and we're out of toilet paper too. And the kids have been crying all day. I can't even think straight or remember anything. Oh my goodness, did I have a meeting at church tonight? I did. I forgot it. I can't do all of this. And so I leaned up against the counter and I began to cry. There were a few moments of silence before I heard his footsteps coming towards me. I looked up just in time to see him spread his arms and wrap them around me. I'm so sorry, I said. I'm not mad at you. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm tired of doing everything and feeling like I can't juggle it all. I paused. I'm just so sick of trying so hard. He let me cry for a few minutes. You know, you don't have to do it all, right? He said. It's all going to still be here tomorrow. Let's just leave some of it and we can get it in the morning, my husband said. But that's just the thing. It's all going to be here again tomorrow. It's never ending. I can't keep up. And so I cried some more. My husband looked me in the eyes and said, You go and switch out the laundry and just take a few minutes and be by yourself. Take a few deep breaths. Take half of your anxiety pill if you need it. I'll finish up the dishes. We can put the kids to bed and then we can sit and talk for a bit. And that was it. I was just done. Have you ever felt this way, she says, ladies. 
please tell me I'm not alone. You see, here's the thing. I'm overwhelmed enough as it is as the woman of our household. I just don't feel I can, I can always keep up. But add my anxiety into the mix, and you've got the recipe for a hot mess. And after years of trying so hard, I've become tired of trying so hard, and I can't do it anymore. She says, I'm learning to ask for help. I'm learning to accept help. I'm learning how to manage my anxiety with prayer and Xanax. And I'm figuring out what my limits are and when to let things just be undone. I'm recognizing when I need to slow down and just be with my family. But most importantly, I'm learning how to say no to myself. No to allowing myself to try so hard because when I try that hard, I fail even harder. And I'm tired of failing, aren't you? And so all those young mamas clicking like on that article because so many of them feel the same way. Now listen, stereotypically, there are two responses to this article. On the one hand, there is the person that thinks, oh my goodness, that's exactly me. I feel that way. That is me. And on the other hand, there's the person that says, it's just dishes. What's she, what's she so exercised about? It's only dishes in the kitchen. Why is she freaking out so much? Those are the two extremes. And we experience that tension, even the tension in the room right now with those extremes. We experience that tension in a fallen world. So how do we understand ourselves? How does the one who doesn't understand anxiety respond to the one who suffers from anxiety? How does the one who suffers from anxiety live and get along with the person who doesn't get anxiety? I explained it to my students this way, and this is the first main point of this sermon, and that is that the fall, the fall into sin recorded in Genesis 3 has wounded all of us. We are bruised and broken by the fall as we sing in one of our hymns, Come Ye Sinners. But we're not all wounded identically. We're all profoundly ruined, but we're not ruined identically. And here's how I try to explain that. See if, if this is true for you. If every person, imagine every person had a dashboard of the soul, a dashboard of switches and knobs and dials that make up their person. Prior to Genesis 3.15, Adam and Eve were born and their dashboard all the switches, all the knobs, all the dials perfectly set to their factory settings. Every knob, switch, and dial perfectly as it should be. But after Genesis 3.15, all of those knobs, switches, and dials of every person have been wrecked. As if a toddler came in and slapped that switchboard and threw off every switch, every dial, every knob from its factory setting. And now my knobs are turned this way and your knobs are turned that way. Some of you, your anxiety and worry knob is just turned way up 
And it does not take much for you to be undone and to freak out. But the opposite extreme of the fall is true as well. For some of you, your knob is turned way down. And you just don't care about much of anything. You're just apathetic. You're easygoing, they might say. But you're just apathetic. So which is right, to be worked up or to be apathetic? They're both off of their factory setting. And the same is true for the knobs of of anger, for the knobs of proving yourself, for the knobs of sexuality and sexual appetites. Some people's uh, knobs are turned to extremes of heterosexuality. Some are turned to the extremes of homosexuality. But they're all off of their factory settings. Whether by one click or ten clicks, they're not on their factory settings. And so when we see the human person like that, when I know that your dashboard is messed up, and you know that my dashboard is messed up, we have a common ground to be able to live together and to love one another. Your knobs are profoundly messed up. My knob switches and dials profoundly messed up because we live in a sin-broken world. We can be patient with each other when we see this. We can be understanding of one another and our struggles in sin when we see it and understand it this way. My second point is this. Remember, the, the title of the sermon is If the Gospel's True, then why do we stress, worry, fear, and freak out so much? My second point is the Gospel is true, but it is not the immediate fix-all to your immediate needs. It is the fix-all for every profound need, but it is not going to immediately correct your switches, dobs, and niles to their knobs and dials to their factory settings. That will come in the new heavens and the new earth, where God restores and makes all things new as they should be. But for now, we live and will continue to live in a sin-broken world as we experience God the Holy Spirit sanctifying us, changing us, slowly moving some of those knob switches and dials more towards their factory settings. But in this life, it is going to be hard. That's why Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. Expect it. But take heart, He says. Take heart in Me, because I have overcome the world. We have to learn to push back on all these attributes of sin in us with truth. To be able to talk to our hearts, talk to our minds with this kind of truth. That Jesus is our only hope and we must take hold in Him. You know, through the 17 years I've been at Erskine, it seems like only in the last 10 or so, I have seen this spike in the number of students who are struggling with anxiety. A tremendous spike. And several years ago, I had a student come see me. And, and this was probably at a time in my life where I was more of the guy with the crossed arms wondering, why, why are so many people struggling with anxiety? Well, this young man came to see me. He called me, actually, at about 10 o'clock on a, I think it was a Thursday night. He had just had an intramural basketball game. He said, Paul, I need to come see you. And I said, okay, come see me. He came to see me, and the short summary of the long story is this. He was done. Couldn't take it anymore. 
He had just played in an intramural basketball game and his team had lost and that's all it took to quickly spiral him downward. He said, Paul, I was ready to run my truck into a tree on the way over here. Just mad at the world, anxious, depressed, unhappy. And uh, so I asked a few questions about how long he's felt like this. And he went on to say, people don't know how much I struggle with anxiety. Now, the reason people didn't know that is because he was such a normal-seeming guy. He was on the baseball team. He was popular, though very quiet, very shy. And he, um, he would tell me that, Paul, you don't understand. I can't go into the dining hall at Erskine, small little dining hall, a couple hundred people at a time. He said, I can't go into the dining hall at Erskine without having a sense of this anxious fear wash over me of who is going to be in there when I walk in there? What are they going to think of me? Am I going to measure up? Am I going to meet expectations? He says the same thing is true when I come to RUF. The same thing is true when I go to the gym to work out. Am I going to be as strong as the other people in the gym? What are they going to think of me? He says, I go back to my dorm to work on my papers and my tests, and I'm constantly racing thoughts of, can I be the best student in the class? Is the professor going to like my paper? Can I keep up with everybody else? And these pressures undid him. They unraveled him to the point that he had moments that he just wanted to end it all. Fast forward a few years, and I was, I'm thankful I was able to see this student do well, get some good counseling, get some medication, and I was able to officiate in his wedding. And after he was married, in his first year of marriage, he and I circled back. And I asked him, how are things going? You're married now. I said, is it any different? Are those anxious fears any different now that you're married? And he said, no. He said, I thought they would be. But he said, what you said in premarital counseling actually is true. You take you into your marriage and you bring your baggage with you. He said, but I found a good counselor. I found somebody, this is key, he said, I found somebody who struggled with the exact feelings that I have, and it has helped me tremendously. And so I asked him, I said, well, what is it? What has helped you the most? And this is why I share this story with you. <clears throat> he said, he's taught me that I have to push back on my anxious fears with gospel truth. I have to talk to myself. I have to assert what is true and push back on those fears. He said it doesn't stop the racing thoughts. It doesn't stop the feeling of being out of control sometimes. But I've experienced a calming peace that puts everything back in its proper order, at least for a time. And you know what he's doing there? He's taking hold of Jesus. He's taking hold of His Word and His promises. And he's applying them to himself. He's speaking the truth to himself. Pushing back on the lies with gospel truth. Can you do that? In the midst of your anxious fears. Whatever makes your list of your anxious fears in a week or in a month or in a year. Whatever you're living through right now. Do you know enough Bible 
to be able to apply it to push back on those anxious fears. You know, one of the great hardships for all of us is if you don't know God's Word, if you don't know the Scriptures, you have nothing. You're not armed or equipped to be able to push back with those Scriptures. And so hearing God's Word taught and preached regularly and weekly, taking up God's Word and reading it on your own, singing God's Word as we have in these songs this morning, these now become fuel for your soul to push back on the unbelief and the anxious fears that will seek to crowd out your faith. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom. Don't seek these other things. The temptation to make it work out for yourself. The food, the shelter, the clothing, all the worries of this life. By our fallen nature, we want to seek those things first. God's on the second shelf. Jesus said it's backwards. Seek first the kingdom. And all these other things will be provided for you. They will happen in order. But keep first things first. Thirdly and lastly... How can we say it any differently than to say that Jesus is offering himself to those with an anxious heart and saying, come to me. Come to me and take hold of me. Come to me and take hold of my word and my promises. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples who have heard him teach over and over and over again. And he's turning the screws on them a bit, saying, you must believe. You must take hold of my words and let go of the other things you're grasping for. Take hold of me, take hold of my promises, take hold of my word. And can I say that's exactly why a ministry like RUF is on a college campus, on 150 plus campuses, to make sure that students have avenues of ministry to hear God's word so that they can take hold of his word and his promise. That's why you're gathering weekly and why God has His church gather weekly and corporately to hear His Word and to feed on Jesus and His promises. Because we need it in an anxious world. We will chase the secondary things first and neglect the first things in this life. That's how the fall has wired us. That's how our knobs, switches, and dials are so off. So this morning, you're invited to take hold of Jesus. You're invited to take hold of Him, maybe for the first time, or maybe for the hundredth time. But to acknowledge your anxious fears, to acknowledge you've never been in control, you've never been able to be the author of your own story, and it's time to stop pretending that you can be or that you are. It's time to trust Jesus and His Word and His promise Maybe to exercise more faith and discipline and seriousness about His Word so that you're armed and equipped with it to live the Christian life in an anxious world. I think Dabo Sweeney actually says it best. This is a quote from several months ago, and I know most of you must be Clemson fans. But listen to what he had to say on this this subject as it relates to this subject. He says, it's hard to survive and thrive in this world if you don't have a spiritual foundation and something that will give you peace. Because life is hard, and we're all going to experience death. 
We're all going to experience failure and setbacks and disappointment and cancer. It's a really difficult world. And then he says this, For me, my relationship with Christ has given me both hope and peace. And can you say it any better than that? Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your peace. We're to take hold of Him while letting go of the little things that we're thinking can offer us hope and peace. Let's pray that this morning we might take hold of Him even as He takes hold of us. Let's pray. Lord God, we confess that we do have anxious hearts. It is an anxious world. We can feel undone by the details of everyday life. But we thank You for a passage as simple and as beautiful as this from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus assures us He cares about the things that concern us. He cares about the things that make us worry and anxious. Lord, would You help us to believe that You really care? Would You help us to take hold of Him and take hold of His promises even as You really take hold of us? We ask this and we pray it together. In Jesus' name, Amen.